The following sermon is from Evangel Temple Youth Ministries. For more information about how you can get involved, please visit etchurch.org forward slash youth. So we're going to jump right into it tonight. And we're going to be in Job chapter 19. If you have your Bible, you can go ahead and pull that out. Job 19, you can go ahead and pull that out. If you need a Bible, I've got one here. And I can hand it to you. If not, I've got an extra one on my pew now. So, let me know. Job is kind of uh, one of those books that I think always gets the rep for being really uh, depressing almost. Like, you know, there, there's a bunch of books that are just like, man, there's some crazy things that happens. You start reading Exodus, you start reading Kings, you start reading these different books in the Bible, and you're like, oh man, there's some crazy things that happens. But Job is just, like, 95% of it is just this, this time of a guy that has the worst life that you can honestly think of or experience. Job seems to be a pretty depressing book in the Bible, but actually, I think it's so great and it's so rich to be able to express to us the amazing truths of the gospel. The, the gospel is so deeply rooted in the book of Job because Job so well demonstrates our human condition, right? The condition that, that we are in a fallen world, that we're in a world that is just full of sin and hurt and pain, and there is no way around it. This guy ha- is, is smacked with absolutely everything that life can bring at you. His, his, uh, his kids pass away. His, his friends are just, you know, the they're honestly the worst friends. They're not great friends to be able to walk through pain and suffering with him. His wife, even the number one person that he's supposed to, uh, that, that should be there for him, is saying, go ahead and just curse God and die. His physical body is just, is in, in, in horrible pain with boils and everything, right? This guy is just, in every direction, every area of his life, he is experiencing the fallen world that we're in. And I think, Job is pretty common. It's a common book when people think about, you know, suffering in the world. You go straight to Job. There's suffering all in the Bible, but you go straight to Job. And I think one reason why that is is because Job is so easy to relate to. Though no, not any one of the things that he goes through we can relate to specifically, but just the general idea of, of pain and hurt and suffering, there's no way that any of us are going to escape that, Right? There's no way that any of us are going to escape that. We're all experiencing the fallen world that we live in day in and day out, and that's just the reality of it, and we can relate to Job with that. But I think where the gospel comes in, it just doesn't stop with the fact that he's suffering and that he's living in a fallen world and he's surrounded with sin, but he never stops believing and trusting in God, right? The whole way through, his wife says, go ahead and curse God and die, and he says, no way. He has some greater hope, and that's just the truth of the gospel, God stays true, God stays faithful, though maybe it doesn't seem like at face value, right? The things that he's looking at right there in front of him, it looks pretty horrible. But God never leaves him. And if you read through the whole book, you see at the very, very ending, man, God is faithful. This life is rough, but God is faithful. I'm, I'm, I'm suffering, I'm struggling, but God is faithful and Job demonstrates so well the gospel that we're called to live by. And so I actually want to be looking at specifically chapter 19. It's right up there. Chapter 19, um, starting in verse 25. Just a couple verses tonight that I want to be looking at. But this is Job talking to his friend, talking to some friends that are just saying, just give up. Give up. There's no point. Do you not see what you're doing? It's just pointless. 
And this is Job's response to them, a man that is suffering at the brink of death, experiencing pain and hurt, loneliness in every aspect of his life. This is Job, and this is his response to him. He starts in verse 25 saying, I know that my Redeemer lives. And that's just crazy in itself. If we just stopped there and we just talked about that one phrase, that's crazy. I know, hold on, Job. You might be able to say, I know that my Redeemer lives whenever you know, you're rolling up in a Lambo and you're, you're living life great, right? I mean, you know, like, my Redeemer is great. Job, maybe, maybe rephrase it like, I know God, you know, maybe I, I knew God lives, you know, or, you know, just rephrase it. I, I, I don't know. I, I was pretty sure God, but he doesn't even waver. He says, I know without a shadow of a doubt, God lives. My Redeemer lives. This man is filled with faith despite his condition. I need to actually stay on track. I need to quit getting all amped up. Verse 25, I know that my Redeemer lives and that in the end he will stand on the earth. And after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my life I will see God. In my flesh I will see God. I myself will see him with my own eyes. I and not another. And I love this last part of verse 27. How my heart yearns within me. I know that my Redeemer lives. I know that my Redeemer lives, and though whenever I pass away and I die, he's going to be here, and in my new flesh, I will still see him with my own eyes. How my heart yearns for that. What a man of faith, demonstrating the gospel. Before we jump into this, would you guys just join with me in prayer that, he would, that God would just speak to us? that we would learn from this, that we would see the example of Job and that God would speak to our hearts just as he comforted Job in these times. Lord, thank you that you're a redeemer and thank you that you live today. Lord, we thank you that you're here with us right now in this room, that your presence is here and really your presence is all we seek, it's all we want. Lord, I pray that in these next few moments that you would speak to our hearts, you would speak to our souls about priority, about what really matters in our lives, what should be the base and the foundation of everything that we do and how we live. Lord, I pray right now that you would prioritize and you would put a focus in on our life to where we know how you've called us to live and how to arrange our lives in such a way that glorifies you. Lord, I pray right now that you would speak to us, that I would speak to to them, but that you would speak to their souls, that I, that I would say words that maybe are generally applicable, but Lord, I pray that you would speak specifically to their hearts and specifically to their situations. Lord, I pray right now that you would be a comforter, that you would be an encourager, that you would be a convictor, whatever it is that each individual here needs to hear from you and feel from you and experience from you. Lord, I pray that you would be faithful as you always are and that you would provide that to us tonight. Lord, be with us. We are so thankful for it. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. So, can't get ahead of myself. We have been on a series, the Apostles' Creed, uh, belief, right? Belief, uh, this huge belief statement, this thing that we, 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 we are able to say with confidence. And this is just a statement that we, that we join with thousands of years of Christians just like us 
that have been able to say this, and we join with them in, the, in that. And so though it doesn't bring salvation or anything, just saying these words, like that doesn't mean anything, it doesn't do anything for us, but the, the reality of it and the truth of it resonated in our hearts, it means everything. And so we, this is the last week. We've went through phrase by phrase of, the, of this uh, statement for a long time. We've pretty well just gone all the way through it. And so um, we're in the last little bit here, but for one last time, would you guys just stand with me and then recite with me? One last time, okay? Um, and if you are new here or uh, you're just checking out church in general, uh, you don't have to say it. That's, if you want to, to you know, not feel awkward or anything, feel free. But um, this is just something that we do, and you don't have to feel obligated by any means at all. But uh, would you, those who want to, would you join with me starting at the very line, uh, first line? I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to hell. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven is seated at the right hand of the Father and will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Amen. You guys can be seated. Thank you so much for, for that. That's the last week of it. Um, so this week, this week, wrapping up, we're really crunching a lot of it together so we can prepare for the Christmas season. Um, and so this week in particular, we are going to be looking at the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. And so this phrase is really just this, this promise, this truth that we are able to receive because of everything that follows, if you go all the way back to the very beginning, that I believe in God the Father, I believe that he created everything, I believe that Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior, that he died for my sins, that he was raised and conquered death, and he is now seated at the right hand of the Father in heaven. He's reigning over everything. If you just believe in the salvation narrative that all of that proclaims, then right here is the result of that. We're, we're forgiven of our sins, of all the things that we've done, the guilt and the shame that we're able to store up and stock up and, and experience, and, and just it just weighs us down. We're forgiven of that, and it's just pushed away. The resurrection of the body and life everlasting, not only does he forgive us of our sins in the past, and he forgives us of our sins that we will do, which is just crazy. He's already forgiven us of everything that we will do in the future. This is a, a promise of God, but he doesn't just stop there, though that in itself we still don't deserve, right? That is more than we deserve already, but he goes beyond that and he says, I will actually take also the sins that, that you've experienced that you haven't committed. You, I, I will take away the sins that you are a product of. This fallen world, I will take you out of that. I will give you a new body, a new life, and a new earth. Free from all of that. And all the sins that you've committed yourself, I'm going to forgive. And he gives us life with him for eternity, though we don't deserve any of it. 
That is the phrase that we're going to be talking about tonight. It is so um, amazing and just so rich and so deep. There's no way that we're able to exhaust it, but um, I'm going to give my best shot. I'm looking at the clock. So, um, so talking about this whole idea of life everlasting, eternity in heaven is just a crazy concept, but yet it's such um, a truth that is really the great hope that, that our faith uh, focuses on, right? I mean, that is the great hope that we have. When, when you think about what is the hope, you have faith, right, that Jesus Christ died for your sins. What, what is the hope that you have? That is heaven, eternity with God. That is the great hope that Christianity um, focuses on. And so what, what is it that makes it such a great hope? It's not the, the pearly white uh, streets or streets of gold or streets of, of emerald, right, or whatever uh, the description is that, that heaven is, this, this idea of what heaven's going to look like. That's not what makes it so amazing, is it? Because I think we could uh, make up something uh, to that description, gold streets, right? What is it that makes heaven so amazing? And it really comes down to that we are in the presence of God forever. Heaven really is just amazing and beyond belief is because it is the fullness and presence of God. We're able to experience the presence of God here, right? But it's, it's a lot similar to uh, whenever you, you read in Exodus, Moses talking with God and he sees God, but he can't see the fullness, the greatness, the glory of God to the fullest extent. So God turns and he shows him his back as he walks by. And that's the glimpse of God's glory that Moses is able to receive in this life. But whenever you get to heaven, when you're in this new body, this new life, free from all sin, now we're able to experience the fullness and the wholeness of God. God's glory and the greatness of his presence. That's what makes heaven so great. And if you know, I mean, if you're a Christian here, you know that that is the greatest thing that you could ever want or, or be sought after. That is the greatest thing that you could ever have is the presence of God, right? A relationship with God. You can have, I mean, you can, you can have hobbies that you really enjoy, that you love, right? You can have sports, you, whatever it is that you enjoy to do. You can have relationships with people, right? But none of that is ever greater, ever greater than our relationship with Jesus Christ, relationship with God, eternity with him, just being in communion with him, right? Nothing is ever beyond that. I was talking with Sarah a couple days ago to make this real and, and, and shown and in my own life, I was talking with Sarah about, uh, about marriage the other day, right? Um, this is something that we talk about here and there. You know, it's kind of coming up. Uh, we're talking about our wedding coming up, and we were just like, you know, I never, ever want our relationship to be anything beyond my relationship with God. I love you dearly. I love you dearly. And she's saying the same thing back to me. We're, we're in complete agreement. I love you dearly, but... I will always, always prioritize my relationship with God. We, he is so much greater than anything that I could ever want, right? My purpose is found in him. My purpose isn't found in any one thing or individual, including the woman that I want to spend the rest of my life with. There is nothing on this planet that will trump or be greater than my relationship with God. What a sad thing. Even my soon-to-be wife, what a sad misplacement of purpose if I were to put my purpose in, in her. She wouldn't want that because God forbid if I ever lost her, 
I lose my purpose. God is the only eternal purpose that we could ever have. If you ever put it in a relationship with someone, if you ever put it in, in a hobby or something like that, I mean, you hear stories of these uh, swimmers or, or athletes where they, they're injured and they lose their purpose in life. And I just, I, I'm, I just filled with sorrow for them. Like, man, what a shallow placement of purpose. What an easily lost purpose of life. The only way that you can have eternal and fulfillment of purpose in your life is the relationship with God. And when you put, and when you realize that and that becomes a truth in your life, well, now heaven looks amazing because your relationship with God is full and complete and he's fully there and the greatness of his glory is completely right in front of you. That's what makes heaven so amazing for us, right? But if you're, if you're a church person, you know, you've grown up in the church, you know that we can't just you know, walk on into heaven. You can't just be uh, born and live the life that is so easily uh, just selfish, the way that we want to live right, and, just, and, and not have any concern for God and your relationship with God and just stroll on into heaven in the afterlife, right? Like We know that that's just not the reality of it. There's, there's this commitment, this, this love for God that we're called to have, right? We can't just merit Eternity in heaven. We are fallen. We are broken. We are sinful. And that's kind of hard to swallow sometimes when we try to, you know, skim right over. Like, oh, yeah, sinful too. And then, you know, but we have a promise. And you say that a little louder than you said, I'm sinful. Like, that's just, we, we try to just skim right over that. But, but the reality of it is every single one of us, there's not a single one of us that isn't undeserving of heaven and deserving of hell. That is just the reality and the truth of it. And I think whenever we embrace that truth, what God did for us becomes so much greater, right? Whenever you think like, I, I'm relatively worth it, even kind of worth it, well, what God did for you now is just kind of like, yeah, I mean, that was nice. But when you were like, I'm a wretched sinner, I'm horrible, but God saved me, now it's just so amazing what God did to us, God did for us. Not a single one of us is deserving of eternity in God's glory. I mean, I think of, honestly, even the greatest individuals, the most holy people that I know, that I, I don't think I've ever seen sin in my life. There, there's this one, uh, there's two people really, I was writing this sermon, I was thinking like, who are the great, you know, just like the most holy people that I, I'm just like, oh wow, they're so sweet, you know, like there's one, Gladys is um, in the, in the, she's probably over there right now in, in one of the classes or something, but she's so sweet, if you know her, she's amazing, and then uh, grandmas, right, like you just, you gotta love your grandma, just this sweet woman, my, both my grandmas are really sweet, um, but then Sarah's grandma, she's just, uh, that sounded like I was saying my grandmas were less than, look, my grandmas are great too. And so, but Sarah's grandma, I think what makes it um, that much like, wow, she's so sweet is she's like four foot six, maybe five foot when she's putting on some super high heels. Like she's just like teeny little woman and she's just so nice, petite. And it's just like, I don't think I've ever seen this woman sin in my life. She's always working the welcome desk in my church back in KC. It's just like, Wow. You're just a servant of Christ. And so, but I mean, the reality of it is they are in no less need of God's love and salvation for them, forgiveness of sins than we are. It's just the reality of it. Job, what we just read, I mean, this guy that's just suffering. You read Job 1.1 and it says, Job, a, a, a righteous, upstanding, he, he's, he's the greatest one in the land. Job is no less in need of God's forgiveness for his sins. He's no less undeserving of heaven. You put Mother Teresa next to Hitler and, no, and neither one of them are any more or less in need of God's forgiveness. 
We are all equally in need of God's forgiveness. You can't start comparing, I'm a little less in need for God's No, we are in need for God's forgiveness. We are undeserving of heaven and eternity and his glory. But we also know the next step of it is that he offers that to us. He offers that to us. And there's really two things that, uh, two ways that he does. And the first one is he forgives our sins. It's not like he, uh, have you guys ever seen the commercial, the insurance commercial? I was trying to think of which one it was. I really, I don't know. But it's like this old guy on this, um, he has a fishing pole. And he's like, got, got to be quicker than that. You, got, you know what I'm talking about? Maybe, okay. Well, that's awkward. No one knows. Okay, so it's like, yeah, yeah okay. So we, we, know, we know what I'm talking about. He's not saying like, man, look at this great heaven. Look at this promise that I have. But oh, you got to be quicker than that. Like he's not, I mean, honestly, he's not just like dingling. He's, he's like, come on, you got you to reach for it. I, I, I think of my uh, friendship with uh, Tobiah, uh, Jesh. He's, he's awesome. He's so cool. But every time I see him, I'm like, I throw my hand down here like for a high five and he just comes bolting. And uh, I, I swear it's the shoes that he wears that makes him faster. But like, I'm always down here and just give him a high five. But what if I was like, ha, psych, you got to be, you know, be taller. Um, like that's just, first off, it's really sadistic. It's pretty mean. But, but like, that is not what God does. God doesn't just show us and describe this promise of eternity with him in this book and says, oh, but uh, sorry, you know, he offers, he offers that to us, though we are completely undeserving. He offers it to us, and there's two ways he makes a way for us to be with him. The first one is he forgives our sins. Job, whenever we just read in chapter 19, the first thing he says is, I know that my Redeemer lives. God redeems us though we've sinned, though we've done horrible things, though I know there are individuals sitting in this room right now that have sins that they've committed that are maybe currently living in that no one else knows about. And God offers forgiveness for that. Breathe a sigh of relief that God loves us so deeply that he will forgive even that sin that you're feeling right now that I don't think you would forgive this one. Oh, this one's gone on too long. I don't think God forgives our sins, period. And there's not a single sin that is greater than the love of Jesus Christ on the cross for us. He forgives our sins. We read 1 John 1, 9. It says it so clearly uh, I think probably a lot of you guys have this, this passage, this uh, verse in particular memorized, but if we confess our sins, he's faithful. He's just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He forgives our sins. If you keep reading in, in the passage that we just read, Job 19, 25, he also says, I know that my Redeemer lives and that in the end he will stand on earth and after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh I will see God. He not only forgives our sins, but the second way that he also gives us a way to be with him is he gives us a new body free from the effects of sin. He gives us a new body, a resurrected body. Forgiveness of sins is something we are able to experience right now. You're able to experience that right now. The guilt and the shame, you're able to, to shed that off of you right now. 
As you just pray to God, God, I'm so sorry. God, I, I, com- I confess that I, I, sin- I, I want to live for you. I want to put you first. I want to put a priority that you are greater than any one of my lusts, any one of my desires, any one of the things that I'm doing that I'm struggling with. I put you first, and God, I'm sorry. I confess my sins. He forgives us right now. That is a way that we're able to experience his presence. We're able to experience his presence as he comes into our life, as he's our Lord and Savior, right here in this life, but then also to be in the completeness of his glory, to be in heaven with him. We are tainted still. We are products of a fallen world. Though we are forgiven, though we don't have guilt on us anymore, we are still products of a fallen world. You just look at your physical body. There's scars. There's there's Things that just, that is not perfect. We are not perfect beings. You look at your nature, right? Though you are forgiven and, you're, and you, you're not guilty anymore, that he is taking that away from you. You still have this desire. You still have these lusts. You still have these evil natural tendencies. God says, I will give you a new body to where you can be fully and completely free from sin. Not only guilty, and not only not guilty of your sins, but also free from sins from other people and sins of this world. You will be completely at this point free from the effects of sin. After my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh I will see God. And I think that's just absolutely crazy. I really do just the fact that not only will he give us a new physical body, but he will give you a new, he, he will sanctify, he will make holy your desires. He will make holy all of your passions. There will be no sin in heaven with God. Isn't that just, I mean, that's just amazing. To think, yeah, I'm, I'm in relationship with God, but man, I, I am still constantly struggling with this addiction, whatever it is, fill in the blank, But to be in heaven with God and to know that isn't even a possibility anymore because God has given me a new, sanctified, Holy Spirit to where I am able to only love what he loves and to be only in the presence of glory, not of sin. He gives us a newness to us. I think it's really common, maybe some of you guys in here can relate a little bit, I think it's really common to start asking the question, well, man, isn't it, isn't it going to be boring in heaven? I mean, you think, that's for eternity. That's for eternity, God. You, you think about that one? I mean, like, I can hardly handle the spinning wheel on my laptop while I'm waiting for it to load, let alone eternity, right? I mean, the, li- the lines at amusement parks are only so good. You know, I can, I can only handle it so long, but eternity. And you start to wonder, well, man, isn't, isn't it going to be boring in heaven? Isn't, aren't I going to get just fed up with eternity? And it just gets your mind just going. You can't stop thinking. It's just like, oh, that's overwhelming to think about eternity. But again, that is our mindset that we are in a, in a fallen world that displeasure, discontentment is even a possibility. That is no longer a part of who you are. We are no longer displeased with anything. There is no longer displeasure. There's no longer... Discontentment, not being okay with, there is love for what we are in the presence of God, the one that defines and gives purpose to absolutely everything. 
And so we talk about all this will, will, it will be this, it will be that, it will be like this and that. But we walk in here, what in the world does that matter today? Right? We talk about the resurrection of the body, you know, but we're youth and we got, what, 60 plus years to chill until that comes about. And so what does this have anything to do with the way that we're living today? And that was actually something that I was really trying to think through, like, what, what does this, how does this apply to the way that we live day in and day out, other than just the fact that it's a promise that we can always have in the back of our mind and think about, that it will come about, that it will be something, but like, other than that, how does this apply? Life everlasting, resurrection of my body. But then it just hit me like, it applies in every way. It has everything to do with today. It has everything to do with the way that we're living now. Because what we do now is in response to that great promise. Everything that we do now is praise because he has given us that. Because that is the greatest hope that we could ever have. And so now today, we're going to live in response to that. Live praising him and glorify him for that. I think it is, it is the greatest misconception. I want, you, I want you guys to hear me. I want you guys to look at me at this part. It is, it is the greatest misconception to think that you can have the promise that God has given us and not let it affect your daily lives. There's, it's, just, it's just not true. And I'm so passionate. I want, I want people to know that because it's, I think it's so common in the world that we live in for people to be a Christian and no one has any clue. It has no impact on the way that they live. It has no impact on their interactions with other people. It doesn't change their, their loves, the things that they want to live for. It doesn't change the people that they want, what they talk about with people. And it's the greatest misconception because whenever you know how great God is and the promise that he's given us, it changes everything. And now you base everything upon that, right? This is nothing new. Whenever you know this great hope that God has given us, well, now whenever you talk to people, I want to tell you about this great hope that I have, right? Whenever you go through suffering, whenever you go through pain, whenever you go through the realities that life gives us, because you will, because that is the fallen world that we live in, you are going to go through things that really is tough. But when you do, just like Job, you can say, I know that my Redeemer lives and I can endure through because of him, because I know that he has a greater promise for me. I know that he has a greater hope for me. And so I can endure through it. It changes the way that we live. What a sad reality if you don't have that hope for something greater. And you're experiencing a lot of pain right now. How sad that is. And I'm not saying that like, Pastor Russell, I genuinely am sorrowful, sorrowful for the person that is going day in and day out discontent with the way that their life is and they have no expectation for anything in the future that will be greater. No hope for it to be redeemed. That it might ever change. 
We have that and it changes the way our outlook in life, the way that we see the things that we go through. Our actions are completely worship to the God that redeems us though he has no obligation to and we have no deserving of it. Francis Chan, a pastor that I really enjoy listening to, I recommend it if you guys want to go listen to some podcasts. I'm a big podcaster. You guys can listen to, to my man, Francis Chan. Um, but I don't think he's actually okay with me saying my man, Francis Chan, because he doesn't know me. But um, he is low-key. He doesn't know. But uh, we are, we're bros. Uh, Francis Chan was talking about this, the reality of, of the cross and just the hope that it gives us, the eternal hope that we have. And he, he really asked this question that I kind of want to pose to you guys now, so I'm not taking credit for it. Uh, this is the Francis Chan question. It's not mine. Uh, but I guess the question doesn't matter. Uh, he says, first off, do you believe in the resurrection? Do you believe in life everlasting? And I, I, I mean, you don't have to raise your hand, but you can answer that to, your, to yourself right now. Yes or no. Maybe I'm wrestling through it, but do you believe in life everlasting? And then he asked the, the next question that was a little more convicting. A little more convicting. Now that he had you locked in, yes, I believe in the resurrection. He says, then what would change in the way that you live if you didn't? How would that impact your daily living, the, the actions that you make, if you didn't believe in the resurrection. And he, and he go, went on to say, if you, if you don't know, if it's hard for you to come up with a different lifestyle, that, that you're living the same life, that if you didn't believe in God, then there's an issue there, right? There's an issue. And I would argue that you need to reassess the depth of your trust and hope that God gives you. Because a real, deep realization of what it means that we have the promise to be in the presence of God will change absolutely everything. The way that you live, the way that you interact with people, the outlook that you have in the life, the, the suffering that you go through, the, the temptations that you have, everything, everything is changed when you know that God loves you, that God is with you, and then he promises that he will redeem you and he will be with you for eternity and save you from all that. It changes absolutely everything. It will make you say, I don't want anything to do with any of that. All those lusts, all those desires, all that pain, all that hurt, all the relational issues, my, my mom and dad fighting, all that. I don't want to deal with all of this hurt and anxiety anymore. I don't want anything to do with that. And I want everything, everything to do with him who saves me from that. That is the power of the cross. That is the power that Jesus Christ has in our lives. And though the words that we read, the Apostles' Creed, don't in themselves have any power at all. They don't save you if you just read it off the screen. But when those words are rooted deep inside your heart, and the reality, is them, a reality of them just rings true in your being, that is the power 
of salvation that God promises us. From everything that we go through, it concludes with amen, and I can't miss out on that one word, right? Amen. That is something that just means I, I agree. I affirm, I affirm what I just said. If you believe in the power of Jesus Christ in your life, if you want freedom from all that hurt and pain and the lifestyle that you're, you're experiencing now, and you want him who would save you from that, you can say amen. I, I agree with that statement. I agree with the power that it has in my life. Amen. I want that. I want eternity from all of that and with him. Amen. I agree. I affirm. I want that. And the amazing thing is, like we just talked about, the forgiveness of sins, the, the inviting God into our lives to be able to have a relationship with him, to have pre his presence with you is possible. If you haven't already, it's possible just to say, God, I put all that aside. God, I want you. I want to be in a deep and intimate and active relationship with you. That's all it takes. And I promise you, it will radically change your entire life. If you already have made that decision, which I know a lot of you sitting here, you have. I want to just pose that question. How does it change the way that you're living? Because like I just promised him, I promise you, it will and it should. And if it hasn't, I encourage you guys to reassess how deep is it? How true is it? And that sometimes is hard and uncomfortable to think about, but I encourage you guys to think about it because it really is the most important thing in your life, greater than anything else. It is the most important thing. So don't skim over it, but really assess in your life how true is the gospel in my life. Would you guys pray with me really quick? Lord, I thank you so much that again, you are here, that your presence is here, that you promised your presence to be here with us, Lord, that you offer to be in relationship with us, undeserving of it. You say, I don't care, I love you. And that you say in your word that if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just and you will forgive us of those sins. You will wipe away all that guilt and shame. And you promise to be with us. Though it doesn't maybe, though uh, all, the, all the hurt and pain what might not go away tomorrow, we know that there is a hope in eternity that there is no way that any of that will touch us ever again because we will be in the fullness of your glory. Lord, we thank you for the promises that you give us and the power of the gospel. Lord, we thank you. We thank you and we say amen. Lord, thank you for meeting us here in this place and speaking to our hearts. Lord, I pray that you continue to resonate deep inside of us as we walk out these doors and that it radically shapes and changes every single action that we make and that all the actions that we make and the, and the lifestyle we have is based around and shaped by our love for you. It's in your beautiful name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Would you guys stand with me? Let's worship. We hope you enjoyed this sermon. If you're not already a part of the ET family, we invite you to join us on Wednesday nights. 
For more information, visit etchurch.org. Thanks for listening, and we hope to see you soon.